Good morning, everyone. For those guests that don't know, we broadcast live on Facebook and give all our messages away for free uh, through there and through NordFMC. Um, and don't think I don't know that there's not a lot of people watching. I know that there are. <laughs> I do. I find out all the time. We're happy to provide this for you. We really are. Let me take a breath. Those of you online, we just dedicated a very special little girly girl to, uh, to the Lord. And so uh, that's why you see a little baby picture right there. There she is. That's Ellie. All right. Well, let me kick into this. This could be very important. I hope that uh, hope we can open our hearts and minds today to, to just suspend some things. First thing you need to know about me is um, I didn't grow up in church, and I'm not actually the biggest fan of church. I'm just not. I've got the same baggage you all have the same beliefs and things like this. But I, what bothers me the most is I'm 39 now, and at 17 I was introduced like that I could actually have a relationship with God and know him without you. Like me, just me. And I used to think that was Looney Tunes, especially because of Hollywood. But here's what I realized, that when I was in college, I had a college professor, one of my least favorite professors, he was obnoxious. He studied a couple years at Oxford and he wanted to tell us every class. Well, at Oxford, at Oxford. I was like, wrong crowd, bro. This is Plattsburgh State. We don't care. Well, at the end of the year, he, he wanted to, us to write a paper about leadership or something like that. I don't know. And I had written a paper to another class and used it in this class as well. <laughs> Jules, do you remember this? <laughs> Why wouldn't I, right? What? Just leave her alone. I'm just inside joke. Well, long story short, so I say to this college professor, I say, uh, I want to say that Yeshua, which is Jesus' real name in his language, Yeshua or Yehoshua, it's more Joshua than it is Jesus. So I said, I want, to write, I want to write that Yeshua of Nazareth was the greatest leader of all time. And he, this very atheistic, very, you know, just whatever, said, okay, you know, expected some pushback on that one. He goes, well, we know he lived. We've got genealogy that records, you know, he, I mean, even in the very Gospels, he goes to a census. And so there's people say, I don't believe in Jesus. And you might as well say you don't believe in Oprah Winfrey. The fact that he, he existed is not up for debate. You, you literally, any scientist in the world will tell you, well, that's just crazy. That's just going like this. But the question is, is who was he? There's the question. And that is actually the biggest question, I believe, on the planet. So he walks around, he starts doing miracles. And because he's doing miracles, people listened. Let me tell you something. If you're at my wedding and you change the water into wine, I'll listen to the, some of the things you're going to say about life. If you start walking on Norwood Pond while I'm out kayaking, we can talk and I'm going to listen. You know what I'm saying? And maybe that was one of the purposes of the miracles, you guys, was to show that he had command over things you don't and that he knew things you don't, even about you. Well, one of the things he says as people start to lean in and listen, he says this. He says, if you remain in me, if you just choose to hang on to me, you'll know the truth. And that truth will set you free from some of the things that are holding you down. And some people, just like people in this room, don't, don't want that to be true. And I, I can't figure out why. Jesus says, I'll teach you. I am the truth. And that truth will set you free from the things that are holding you down. One of the things we're going to talk about today, we're going to hit it and quit it, is this. One of the things that I believe is holding me, people in this room, people listening online, holding us down is what we believe about the nature of God. And I believe if we're off, I like science. And if you're aiming at a planet, let's say a trajectory, at a planet that's, you know, millions of miles away, light years away, if you're off by one degree, do you know how far off you are by the time you get to that planet? You see what I'm saying? Well, here's the problem. 
a lot of us guys, we listen, this is not our fault, but we grow up with these different ideas kicking around culture about who God, who God is, who Jesus is. And one of the reasons I wasn't a big fan of church is because I went into certain churches that were saying stuff that didn't line up to what I was reading. They were acting in a way that didn't line up to what I saw Jesus doing. And go figure, most of the time it was harmful stuff. And listen, I'm not bashing anybody. I'm not giving names, am I? I'm just saying, I've been that person too probably. I've probably been the one on that side. But that's one of the things that happens and it kicks us off just a little bit about who God is. We live the rest of our lives and we miss all that he has for us. Do we understand what I'm saying? And I find myself doing a lot less teaching than I do unteaching. Do you know that? I don't know if it's just the general area we live in or what, but I find myself tearing things down more than I do building things up. So here we go. Let's kick right into this. Let's go into 1 John 4.8. All right, John followed Jesus around. This is a firsthand account. How do we know he knew what he was talking about, man? Because he was there. John, it's his Iobon in Greek. He says this. Later, after Jesus has died and rose again, he wrote this. And he says, whoever doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. So if you have people in your life that came to mind that I said were the ones who've hurt you, if they call themselves Christ followers, but they're not loving, don't listen to them. And if you call yourself a Christ follower and you're not loving, I would, I would challenge you that you are not a follower of Jesus. If you don't love, you don't know God because God is love. Do you understand what I'm saying? So maybe that person that kicked your butt and condemned you and said, well, Jesus wouldn't accept you because you're, I don't know, what do you want to say, divorced is one? Because of this, because of that, because of this. Do you think that maybe they actually aren't followers of Jesus? They just said it? Cody, I could say I play for the Packers, man. <laughs> I can say anything. Do you know that I'm Lightning McQueen? <laughs> I'm Evil Knievel's grandkid. See how you can say anything you want? John says this. If they're not loving, God is not inside of them. Now listen, it, nobody's perfect, okay? There are days when I'm not loving, even to my most favorite people, which would be my two children. But if my life does not have the fingerprint of love on it, then don't listen to me when I teach you about Jesus Christ. Amen? In this church, we say amen means I agree, okay? And I'm not here to teach at you. Let's have a dialogue. So this is how you know right here. So if some of you have been beaten up by people who don't love, okay, now you know. Oops. I thought they spoke for Jesus, but apparently they don't. Get set free about that. A couple different things I want to give you, a couple symptoms of religion creeping in instead of relationship with God is this. That's my axe to grind, guys, is that I, I think religion, well, how about this? I've been studying the Bible since I was 17. And I'm no scholar, don't get me wrong. But Lyle, here's what I find. Wherever Jesus went, by the way, Jesus is perfect theology. You want to know what your theology should be? Watch him. That's it. I don't care what books you want to read, what seminary you want to go to, which televangelist she listens to. Just look at Jesus. He's perfect theology. And he would have a problem. Everywhere, when Jesus went places, he constantly banished and challenged religion. In fact, he seems like the least fan of religion on the planet. Religions are the systems man put up to try to earn God. Right, guys? Maybe if I, maybe if I don't, I mean, we just dedicated a child. And I won't give you the history or how many millions of people were murdered because they wouldn't go along with infant baptism. They were called Anabaptists. That's the reality. They were told if kids weren't baptized, they'd go to hell. And you want to know why they were told that? So humans could control other humans. Because if you don't give money to this church, I'm not going to baptize your kid. What? Okay. 
Does anybody remember the only times we've actually seen Jesus angry? Anybody remember what that was? In the temple, what was happening? Money exchangers. In other words, people were keeping people, his kids, from him. The poor people were being oppressed. Certain groups were being oppressed. Women were being oppressed. All in the name of religion. And so when I say I, I despise religion, I don't despise the gathering together of people to worship God. I despise someone like me standing up here and giving you a list of things and saying, keep these and you're good. Don't do these and you're bad. If you've been to that church, if you attend that church, I suggest you leave even if it's this church. And if I start doing it, I trust you to tell me. That's man's attempt to control you. Meanwhile, God says this, to all who believe, I give you the right to become my son and my daughter. And so one of the symptoms I'm going to give you today, if you know that religion has crept into your heart, is this. If you're motivated by shame instead of love, I believe that's evidence that we misunderstand who God is. Feelings of shame and condemnation are often evidence that we believe God's opinion of you is determined how much you've done, pursued him, obeyed him, or if you've been good. Let me just say this for the rest of the story, because now I'm going to have to speak to, I'm going to pretty much speak to believers from here on out, okay? We are welcomed, fully accepted, and fully loved in Christ Jesus, okay? I am not saying outside of Christ. I'm not, I'm not saying outside of Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because this will turn into like a Unitarian situation, and that's not what we're talking about. In Christ Jesus, if you choose to say, Lord, you are who you say you are, and you'll do everything you said you'll do in my life, that's faith, then this applies to you. Do you understand that? But I got I to gotta be loving for a minute. If you don't, then tune out. This is not going to apply to you. You are going to be on a treadmill of trying to earn and trying to be good enough, and you're going to be stuck in your own power and your own will. I'm going to go off script for a second because I can understand some people are confused. So this guy walks up to Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. And he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Everybody that lives dies. What, what can I do, Jesus, to be kept safe? Jesus says something amazing. He says, you keep all the commands. And he goes, yeah, I've kept all the commands. It's ever since I was a kid. Now, I won't go into that. He says, okay, well, how about this? Go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Start living out the commands, the spirit of things. And the guy goes, no, I'm not going to do that. And he walks away. Two things. He's not telling everybody having stuff is bad. Stop it. That's bad church crap too. He's saying, you can have stuff, bud, but your stuff's not supposed to have you and yours does. But he also, so get that out of your mind because that's been perverted. But you know what Jesus just did? Think about this, Bruce. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Ready? You can do everything perfectly since the day you were a kid. Keep every single command that God put out there living to his standard. Or you can let me do that for you. Bruce, you get that? And that guy chose to try to do it on his own. And he walked away. And that's the end of the story. So what I'm trying to say is this. In Christ Jesus... We are motivated by love and not shame and condemnation. Because we've looked at that recently. On the cross, Jesus took sin and death and even religion into his body and went to the grave. And three days later, only one person rose. 
Only one person rose. So our sins, our shortcomings, our wrongdoings in Christ are buried in him. Now, I know that this is, can be difficult, guys. I know that we can sit there and we can start looking at our, um, how we measure up. And This was me for a long time. And that's kind of where I soured on church because I never felt like the people that were there or the people that, you know, no matter what kind of day they were having, they put on this plastic smile and pretended everything was fine. When I was, my life was falling apart and I felt like I couldn't tell anybody. You know what I'm saying, Bev? Plastic Christianity. Now, meanwhile, if I look at the disciples and Jesus himself, I don't see that. I don't see that at all. But that was me for so long. I didn't change as fast as I wanted to. There were still things hanging on to me. And I felt like a worm for years and years and years. Anxiety, depression, addictions, things like that. And, and I tried, man. I tried. But I, here's what I realized. That I don't. we fight from a place of victory. We don't fight for victory. Does that make sense? In Christ, it's not like, Lord, I got to change so you love me. In Christ, it's more like, Lord, I get to change because you do love me. Does that make sense? I, and, and that's something that religion has done to us, guys. There's a song uh, we sing, which we might actually audible out if you don't mind. We've got How He Loves, but Lisa's not going to be here, so we might sing Good, Good Father. Does anybody know that song? You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. You ever hear that song? It's who you are. Do you understand that? I know Catherine. Catherine's the daughter of God, beloved. Go get one of my kids. Bring them out here. And you know who they are? They're daddy's kids, man. That's Alex and Izzy, the beloved of dad. What about when they act like crap? Because they do. <laughs> they do. They're still Alex, the beloved of daddy. If he grows up, and heaven forbid, and I do ask, Lord, that you'd forbid this, but let's say he becomes a terrible, terrible citizen of the United States, committing crimes and hurting people. Is he still going to be my son, you guys? Yes, he is. And he still has my love and my approval, not his actions, but who he is remains. And that's where religion has lied to everyone in this room. Because we've said, just as I am, Lord Jesus... You sing in a church like this around song number three or something, you start to feel something you know is really there, and you want to lean into it. And of course, your brain's telling you not to because it's counterintuitive to the stuff of the Spirit. And then you think at one time, you're like, yes, you know what? Forget all this other stuff, mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, and that priest. I want you, Lord Jesus, as I am, as I am. And you feel accepted, and you are accepted. And then what happens, Jules? You start looking at your behavior again, Right? Or even groups of people will start looking at your behavior after that. So it's just as I am, Lord Jesus, and then no, not like that anymore. Right, Bruce? Do you get what I'm trying to say? That's not right, you guys. Let's look at 1 John 4, 19, guys. Bottom line. Well, how about this? You're loved by God, and so there's no fear in that. Right, Lyle? There's no proper fear, by the way, the, ter the term. Because you know what? If you understood how perfectly you're loved, everybody in this room, in Christ, then you will no longer fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And Jesus took that punishment. Do we understand? It's such a mathematical formula. See that? The one who fears is not made perfect in love. In other words, you're not letting it in. And we love because he first loved us. I say this, man, and I know some of this sounds simple. By no means is this simple. This is the greatest mystery of the universe. There's a million steps between you and God because of what your race has done. My race, the human race, at every turn has said, no, God, butt out, I'll do it my own way. The first example was, 
I'm going to eat this fruit to get the knowledge of good and evil, not get it from you. And then growing up, how do we do our marriages? How do we do our finances? How do we parent? Butt out, God, I'll do it my own way. No, I don't care how you say to do those things, and I know how you say to do things. I got it over here. If there was a million steps between God and you, he's taking every single one but one. Do you understand that? And he stands holding his hand out saying, listen, they told you I'll condemn you. They told you I'll beat you. I'm here to fully accept you. Yeah, God, but what about, shh, become my daughter, become my son in Christ Jesus. And when you do, if you ever have fear of me, fear of rejection, fear of not being good enough, fear that I'll abandon you, then you've lost the idea. Because perfect love casts out fear. Let me tell you something. In the, in the Old Testament, sometimes we get the big angry God thing. And I just preached that last summer, I think, Lyle. Big angry God. Where we're all convinced God's on a mountain with a big whip behind his back trying to beat us up because of our behavior. And every time it says fear God in the Old Testament, most times, the word fear simply means to trust his intention for you. Do you know that? I'll give you an, Oh, no, I won't because that's too much. <laughs> I'm trying to wrap it up. I really am. Um... Whenever God talks about fearing him, it means to trust his intention. Because if he asks you to fear him, then this would be hypocritical. Because there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. And God is love. Did we get that earlier? I know I'm heaping a lot on you. Let me get through this. Let me get through this. I understand this is hard to receive, you guys. Listen, I'm almost done here. I understand that this is hard to receive. And here's how I know this is hard to receive. Because it's weird every time someone else tries to pay the bill. If we're out at lunch or if we're out at dinner. Someone tries to give something to you. It's like, ooh, right? I don't know if it's just our society or what, but it's hard. A couple families go out. Someone wants to pay the bill. It's always like there's that moment of, and if that doesn't get you, because maybe that's mostly just men, stereotypically, how about this? How well do you deal with a compliment? You look nice today. What do you do? Aw, deflection. (laughs) Make a joke, deflection. Or do you go, thank you, I feel pretty today. Yeah, you've never done that ever, have you? You want to know why? Because sometimes it's hard to simply receive because that means it's based on that other person's goodness, right? Somebody gives you a gift. Oh, I didn't get you anything. (laughs) What does that have to do with me buying you a gift? Does that make sense? And the awesome, overwhelming, never-ending love of God is there for us in, 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 in this gift. And it's not, Lord, what do I have to do for you? It's simply this, just trust me. Perfect love casts out fear. Just receive this thing. What do we have next? Oh, yeah, let me teach this real quick before we go. Let's do it. So remember how we talked about in the beginning? We said God is what? What did it say? God is? Okay, check this out. Let's walk through this. This isn't just for wedding crashers where (laughs) they were betting that it would be at every wedding, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not a feeling, personally. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs, keeps no record of wrongs, keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices when good things happen in the truth. Love protects you, trusts you, hopes for you, and always perseveres. Now, let's do this again. If God is love, let's just change names. God never fails. No, no, go back, go back, go back, sorry. God is patient with you. God is kind to you. God does not envy. He is not boast. He's not proud. He's not rude to you. He does not seek himself in your life. He's not easily angered with you. He does not keep a record of your wrongs. If God is love and love doesn't do that, then you tell me I'm wrong. You can't, can you? 
But we're used to big, angry God who's watching you every day and say, no, not that. Don't say that. No running. <laughs> no running. <laughs> I get the idea of a kid having a good time at the side of a pool. Maybe don't run on the wet side of the pool, right? For your own good. There's something in that. Love doesn't delight when bad things happen to you. Oh my gosh, how many people say to me, oh, why does God hate me? Bad things keep happening. But God does not delight in the stuff that you're going through right now. He doesn't. He doesn't wish it upon you. He's not out kicking your, let me, let me scan the crowd, ass. He's not. He's not happy that that person is mistreating you. He's not happy the kids are difficult. He's not happy you lost your job. He does not delight in evil. But he rejoices with the truth. Now, what did I say before? I set you up. You think I'm just a rambling lunatic, and most of the time you're right. If he rejoices with the truth, the truth does what? I told you the first thing. Sets us free. You get it? So God is rejoicing right now at this little flannel lunatic who's trying to tear down the lies that are holding you down. Because you thought he kept a list of all the stuff you do wrong. In Christ Jesus? No, he doesn't. Because Jesus took them upon us. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. Right? God is not delighting in the fact that these people are not keeping their word to you and bad things are happening. He's not. He's rejoicing when people walk in his ways and love you and keep their words and treat you well. Does that make sense? And God is protecting you. Steph said it actually up here when she was praying. She said the things we won't even know that we can't even know. Boy, we all have stories when that car crossed the line, things that we know could have happened to us. Yeah. God always trusts you. Do you know that God believes in you? I don't sound so pithy, but Jesus Christ believes in you. He believes you can be the mom, that you are the mom, the grandparent. And now or in the future that he wants you to be. He believes in you. He believes in you as a friend. He believes in you as someone who's faithful and who will leave the world a better place than when you got here. He believes that. He, 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 he trusts you. And he trusts you with every person he's put in your life. Do you know that? Your kids, your mom, your dad, whatever. And God has hopes for you. He has high hopes for every single person in this place. Not the church collectively. Yeah, he's got hopes for his bride. But I mean individually. Every single person, he has hopes for you. And he always perseveres. We'll, we'll bang through the next one too, bride. Thanks. Real quick. And you know what? God is never going to fail. I don't know what it was that was holding up Elizabeth Hope's arrival here. I don't know. Yeah, some people might say it was a medical thing. I, I don't know. And even the doctors really didn't nail it, did they, Bri? Oh, it was just this one thing. No, in fact, the doctor previous and blah, blah. But you know what? God never fails. God had hopes and dreams for them. God was faithful to them. And God cannot be thwarted. If God plays golf, his score is 18. <laughs> okay, I don't know. You, you don't play golf. Okay, fine, whatever. I don't play golf either, but I know golf. I'm an American. <laughs> Prophecies will cease. They're real. Tongues are real. They'll cease. Okay. There's knowledge that'll pass away, but love never will. Right? Isn't that the last one, Brian? So let me let me crap the let me let me let me wind this up. What do we do with that? What do we do with the idea that Jesus really is who He says He was? What do we, uh, let's do the Luke one. Let's do Luke 12, 32, if we can. You got a dad in heaven. You got a father who not only created you just the way he wanted you to be, 
but he gave you an opportunity to be reunited with him through Jesus Christ. And these are all the things he wills for us, right? And it, it pleases him to give us the kingdom. So the last thing is this. Instead of trying harder, that's, the principle of trying harder is religion. But faith says this. I need to become more sure that God loves me. That's what I got to work at. I got to work at learning to stand in the sunshine of God's love and receive it. And that's how I'll be transformed instead of trying harder on my own. Do you understand that? That's why I'm saying we fight from victory. We don't fight for victory. Well, that's it for today, you guys. I was going to tell you a story. Well, you know, I will really quickly. I'll end on the story. Well, it's a really good story. I'll read it to you. This is actually true. And then we're going to sing Good Father. We're going to sing Good Father. So about the days uh, of slavery in America, this is happening. During the years when slavery was legal in the United States, a gentleman happened to a slave bidding in a crowded street. This is true, by the way. The man, whom we knew his name, but I'm just going to say the man. The man paused to observe the activities. He watched from the edge of the crowd. He saw one slave after another being uh, led to the platform, their arms and legs shackled with ropes as if they were animals. And before the crowd, they were auctioned off one after another. And um, some onlookers would inspect the men and disrespectfully grab at the women, you know, kind of checking out the merchandise, as it were. But this man stood back, and um, he was waiting nearby. Now, one thing I don't think this talks about is he was a, a successful prospector coming out of the mines. I do know that from history. And he paused and saw a young girl standing at the back. Her eyes were filled with fear. She looked so frightened. He hesitated for a moment and then disappeared briefly. When he returned, the auctioneer was about to start the bidding for the young girl he had noticed beforehand. As the auctioneer opened the bidding, the gentleman shouted a bid that was twice the amount of any other selling price offered that day. There was silence for a second. And then the gavel fell and the sold to the gentleman was heard. The gentleman stepped forward and waited at the bottom of the steps as the young girl was led down to her owner. The rope which bound her was handed to the man who accepted it without saying anything. And the young girl st stared, at the, uh, stared at the ground. Suddenly she looked up and she spat in his face. Silently he reached for a handkerchief and he wiped the spit from his face. He smiled gently at the young girl and said, follow me. She followed him reluctantly. And as they reached the edge of the crowd, he continued to a nearby area, which was the deal where you close the deal legally. When a slave was set free, legal documents called manumission papers were necessary. So the gentleman paid the purchase price and signed the necessary documents. When the transaction was complete, he turned to the young girl and he gave her the documents. Startled, she looked at him with uncertainty. She narrowed her eyes and asked, what are you doing? And the gentleman responded to her questioning look. He said, here, take these papers. I bought you to make you free. As long as you have these papers in your possession, nobody can make you a slave ever again. Now the girl looked into his face. What was happening? There was silence. Slowly she said, you bought me to make me free? You bought me to make me free? And as she repeated this phrase over and over and over again, the significance of what had just happened became more and more real to her. You bought me to make me free? Was it possible that a stranger just granted her freedom and never again could she be held in bondage and servitude to any man? As she began to, to, began to grasp the significance of the documents that she now held in her hand, she fell to her knees and wept at the gentleman's feet. Through her tears of joy and gratitude, she said, you bought me to make me free. I'll serve you forever. And that's the posture of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We serve him. We pay attention to what he wants us for us in our lives, our marriages, our finances, whatever, because of what he's done for us. He did not make us free to put more shackles on us with his name on them. So go, be loved, 
and live your life. Amen? Let's sing, Good Father.